Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Precious God, we thank you once again. We appreciate you once again for your love. And we thank you for your goodwill. We ask for God for understanding. We ask for wisdom. We ask for the spirit of revelation. So we may receive insight into that which we are going to be speaking about. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, we want to continue with uh, our study on the genealogy of Christ. And uh, last week we started uh, trying to give us a few definitions and uh, as it relates to even that of Adam. And uh, if I may just go back again to give a simple definition of that, it said, for instance, we have a generation, we have genealogy. And uh, it said, a generation is a body of living beings constituting a single step in a line of descent from an ancestor. That is generation. Then when you talk about genealogy, it's an account of the descent of a person or family or a group from a common ancestor of an older form. Hallelujah. Now we know what the genealogy of Adam produced on the earth, like we said last week. The basic thing that the genealogy of Adam produced was death. Amen? It was death. Through Adam we receive all of that. So, for instance, uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 12, we can see that. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and dead by sin. And so death pass upon all men, for that all have sinned. Then if you go to verse 17, it says, By one man's offense, death reign by all. By one man's offense. Now, looking at verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reign by one, much more, they will receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Amen. So, the basic thing that Adam bequeathed to mankind was that. Amen. Praise the living God. So, what then is the effect of the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Because we just look at the two people that we find that. Remember, uh, last week also I made you to understand how that man had a long life to live before the fall. By reason of the glory that was upon man, he lived for many years. Uh, 900 years, 700 years, Lamech was 770, and all of that. You know, so we have all of these people that live all of those years because the glory of God was upon their life. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. And so, like we said, Adam lived for 930 years old before he died. 
We find out Seth lived for 700, I mean 912 years old before he died. Methuselah was 969. And then we know that somebody like Enoch uh, was, I would say, the shortest man, 365. And then we talk about Lamech who lived for 770 years old. All these people live all of those years because the glory of God was still in their life. It was just going down gradually. So if you follow it, uh, there's a kind of descent from the highest level onto, um, you know, the lowest level. Adam being the father of these people had all of the glory of God before the fall. So the glory was sustaining them. Praise the living God. Amen. Right, so basically this was supposed to be man's, um, um, if I may use the word inheritance that he got from God, he was supposed to live quite a long time on the face of the earth, but by reason of what Adam introduced, man began to die. Praise the Lord. So essentially man was not supposed to die the way man is dying now. Uh, you see a situation where people live for just maybe 60 years, 50 something years, and they are gone. That is not God's ultimate goal for mankind. Praise God. Amen. All right. I want to make you see something that if you truly experience in the glory of God, there's a kind of rejuvenation that takes place in your life. By that I mean, uh, if, like the scripture we say, in fact, in the book of uh, Romans, chapter 8, if the spirit of Christ rests in you, shall quicken even your mortal body. There's a kind of glory. That comes upon your life That brings transformation to your life When you are experiencing the presence of God For instance, let's look at the case of Moses Deuteronomy 34 verse number 7 Thank you Lord Deuteronomy 4, uh, 34 verse number 7 The book of Deuteronomy 34 verse number 7 uh, The Bible says Moses was 120 years old When he died His eyes was not dim nor his natural force abated. You can take it for another translation. Maybe amplify. I wanted to see how that Moses was able to live for this long time. Why? Because you see, he was in the presence of God. Amen. Moses, one twenty years old, when he died, his eyes was not dim, nor his natural force abated. Okay, same thing that's trying to say from the amplifier. And that's the point I want you to see. How old was Moses? 120. And his eyes were not dim. By implication, he could still see. How many of you remember that Isaac got into problem? <clears throat> I mean, Jacob now, right? Isaac, Jacob and Esau. How was Isaac deceived? Because he could not see. His eyes were dimmed. But when it comes to the case of Moses, the Bible says his eyes were not dimmed. Even um, Eli had the same problem. And that shows the effect of old age that was working on them. But as far as Moses was concerned, you couldn't see that in the life of Moses. Why? Because he was with the Lord 40 days on the, on the mountain. He was so much in the presence of God that the glory of God was so much upon Moses that aging was reduced in his life. If I never got it. The Bible says it's natural force was not abated. That means he was so strong and young. In the true sense, I would say Moses never died a natural death. Praise the Lord. He never died a natural death. We need to believe this. We need to understand that. Praise the living God. 
Okay. So again, look at Amosi chapter, I mean, chapter 34. That's it, Jeremiah 34. Look at verse 7. I mean, verse 4 to 7. Let's read from verse number 4 to 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, This is the land I promised on old to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it unto your descendant. I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes. But you will not enter the land. Look at verse 5. And so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. What was the next thing you see? The Lord buried him in a valley near Bethpoa in Moab. But to this day, no one knows the exact place. So in the, in the true sense, it wasn't Moses that died naturally dead. God, I would say, took him. I don't want to use the word kill him. God took him. And I'm going to explain why Moses have to go. <laughs> Hallelujah. You see, it was so much in the glory that natural death couldn't have killed him. Is that okay? Right. Because he was with the Lord on the mountain, 40 days, so much of his glory. Remember, the Bible said when he came down, his face was glittering because of the glory of the Lord. So natural death was not going to be able to take Moses. Why and why and how did Moses die? I'm going to explain that to you. Go with me to Deuteronomy 18 verse number 15. Deuteronomy 18 verse number 15. The Lord our God, now Moses is speaking to Israel. The Lord our God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me. Unto him shall ye do what? Hearken. You can find out again in Act 3, 22. But now, look at what Moses is telling these people. God is going to raise up a prophet like unto me. And that means a lot. Who was it prophet that God was going to raise like unto Moses? Jesus. Very good. That means if Moses hadn't died, Jesus wouldn't die. Did you get that? Because he was a prophet like unto Moses. And that's the only reason God had to take him out of the way. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't die if Moses hadn't died. Because he was a prophet like unto Moses. Are you getting what I'm talking about here? Yeah, because the glory that was on Moses was so much that natural death, no, can't take him. God had to get him out of the way so he could prefigure the death of Jesus Christ. Praise the living God. Are we here? The same thing happened to Adam. Adam couldn't die, if you will, because he was a light being. There was no way death could have been able to take Adam. And I'll show you a scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 14. Look at this. Hallelujah. 1 Timothy, what did I say? 2.14, right? Okay, praise the Lord. Look at what he said. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was what? In the transgression. Adam was not deceived. That's the testimony of scripture. Hallelujah. Why? Look at first John. I mean John chapter 1 and look at verse 5. And I explain something to you. John 1 and verse number 5. 
And the light shined the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Is that okay? Right. Adam was a light being, and it was not possible for darkness, which is Satan, to deceive Adam. So it was a woman that was actually deceived, the woman that was in the transgression. Now your question is, so why was Adam driven out of the garden? In the true sense, it wasn't Adam that was driven, it ought to be the woman that was driven. So why did Adam follow? Because if Adam had not followed Eve out of the garden, Jesus would not die for the church. And this may be hard. Hallelujah. But you see, you see what we read in 1 Timothy 2 verse 14? The woman was the one that was deceived. Adam was not a transgression. So why will he die? Why was he driven away? So he finally followed the woman out of the garden. So that Jesus also could follow the woman out of the garden to be able to die. Praise the living God. Let me show you this. Praise the living God. Are you getting that? Right. So, Adam died. He willingly followed, if I may use the word, Eve out of the garden. And that is because he prefigured Jesus and the church. Look at Ephesians. Let me show you this. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. If you read the whole lot, but I just want to take only this place so that you can get it. Ephesians 5 25, then we'll move straight to 32. Now husband, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and did what? Gave himself for it. What does that mean? He died. He died for the church. He gave himself out of love. So Adam out of love had to follow Eve out of the garden <laughs> so that Jesus can follow the woman. Look at verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and what? And the church. Did you get that? You can read from that 25 to 32. Should be great that. Because the scripture said Adam was not in the transgression. So why did he have to leave the garden? Why was it driven out? Because Eve was the flesh of his flesh and the bones of his bone. He's not going to allow Eve to go and then he remains. Because with the kind of nature that he had, there was no way Satan can deceive him. He was a light being. Praise the living God. Now I'm trying to make you see the glory that man had from the very beginning before the fall. Before he came to the position that now he's dying like a chicken in the street. Man was so much in the place of glory. Remember, we read before, in the days that God, the generation of Adam, in the day God made him, in the likeness of God, which is Genesis 1.26. So God doesn't die. If he made the likeness of God, you don't expect death to kill God. So Adam was in the likeness of God. He was full of God's glory. Good of us present. But you see what? He has to move out of the garden so that Jesus can die for the church. And the Bible says, Jesus gave himself for the church. Hallelujah. So this is a mystery of the death of Adam following the wife out of the garden. So Jesus also, for the wife's sake, have to leave the garden. Can we look at John chapter 18 verse 1? Glory. John 18 verse number 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with the disciples, the wife, over the brook kingdom where was what? A garden into the which he entered 
and the disciples. Did you get that? Now, when he left this place, what the next thing? He went to Golgotha. He left a garden for crucifixion. Adam left a garden for crucifixion. Why? Because of the wife. Jesus was leaving the garden to die for the wife. I don't have to leave the garden to die with the wife. Are you getting that? Praise the living God. Hallelujah. Did you follow what I said there? It's, I'm trying to make you see God's intent for man. God never made man or created man that you just come and begin to die. Even children die not infants. You know, that is not God that he made God for mankind. But all of those things were introduced by Adam after the fall. But I'm saying that Adam originally never inherited all of those things from God. And then the introduction of this that came in when they particularly knowledge of good and evil of the tree. I remember it was a woman that ate that tree. That's what the Bible said. It was not Adam that was a transgression, but the woman was. Did you get that? The Bible said the woman ate and gave to the man. The man had to love her to eat too because he knew very well the woman is going to be banished. So you have to partake of that. So that in that process, which is Christ now, be able to redeem. Through that, be able to redeem the woman back unto God. So again, we look at Romans 5 and verse number 12. Romans 5 verse number 12. Praise God. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and dead by sin, and so death passed upon all men. How many men? All. For that all have done what? Have sinned. Praise the living God. By one man sin entered into the world, and death passed upon all men. All, not some all men, as far as that person, the human being, inherited death from Adam, because Adam more or less was the original father of all creation. Remember, the Bible tells us that Eve means the mother of all living. Is that okay? Right. So, what actually happened was the seed, the, the, the devil knew something. It wasn't going to go for the man, like I used to say. He has to go for the woman, because he knows that the woman was going to be the carrier of the seed of the man. Are you there with me? Right. So now, to corrupt humanity, he has to corrupt where the chamber, the chamber where that seed was going to be incubated and brought forth. So he corrupted the womb of Eve. And so every seed that Adam was going to bring forth was getting corrupted because of the tree and not the good and evil that he has eaten. And I made it to understand from time here, this is why Abimelech could not sleep with Sarah. Because the womb of Sarah has to be preserved for Isaac. Are you listening to me? Genesis 20? Right. The womb of Sarah has to be preserved for Isaac. If the womb of Sarah was corrupted, then Jesus wouldn't have been given back to her by a virgin. Because you see, Adam had only one son, which is Isaac. You remember that? And God had only one son, which is Jesus. Now he must take a very clean womb to bed the seed. So therefore, it was not possible for Abimelech to sleep with Sarah because the womb has to be preserved for the only one son of Abraham so that God can have only one son in Isaac, I mean in Jesus, through Mary. You see the mystery? Praise the living God. 
So, like I said, Adam introduced that. And Oda and company that all the evil things that follows that they were introduced by Adam, who died because they followed the wife, as the case may be. So let's deal with the genealogy of Jesus. I'm trying to give you a summary of what we dealt with last week, and I will move into the present situation with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Look at the book of Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. I'm sure you, you are not forgetting, or you won't be able to forget the simple definition of genealogy or generation. Is that okay? Right. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Watch the word book. That word also comes from the word genealogy. How many of you remember that? Genealogy, generation come from records, books, writings, documents. That's what we said. So when you say the generation of Jesus Christ, you're talking about everything that is right. Praise the living God. All the record about Jesus and the offspring of Jesus is what you're dealing with. So when you talk about the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, if you look at that in a simple definition again, use some other persons in the Bible. I give you some other example of, of the Bible so that you can understand the simple definition again of generation. So let's look at Genesis 37 verse number 2. Genesis 37 verse number 2. Praise God. These are the generation of who? Jacob. Joseph being seven years old. Was feeding the flock with his brethren and all that. Now, you know, you just look at that. What is the meaning of that? We're talking about Jacob and his children. That's what means the generation of who? Of Jacob. So when you say the generation of Jesus, what are you looking at? Jesus and his children. <laughs> Just like you have Adam and his children. Is that making sense to you? Hallelujah. Okay, let me give you another one. Look at Numbers 3, verse number 1. Numbers 3, verse number 1. These also are the generations of Aaron and Moses in the day that the Lord spake with Moses Iman Sinai. What are supposed to mean? The history of the life and act of these persons, which have to do with Moses and all his immediate descendants. The generation of Moses and Aaron. The children of Moses and Aaron. Are you getting that? Praise the living God. You can find the same thing in Genesis 2, verse 4. Genesis 2, verse number 4. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. Is that making sense what it means now? So every creation, all of those things that came together is referred to as what? A generation of the earth and the heaven. The stars, everything that was in, in the planet is referring to the generation of the heavens and the earth. So everything that accompanies a source is what referred to as what? A generation. Is that making sense? I'm just giving you a simple definition of that so that I can understand what we're about to deal with. So here we're doing our history about all of the creation. So now, when we say the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, what is that supposed to mean? We're not talking just about a record of the genealogy of Christ from Abraham to maybe, because if you look at Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 17, you're going to look at the history from Abraham down to David 
than to be taken away into Babylon. Are you getting that? That's why you find in Genesis chapter 1, 1 to 17. I mean Matthew 1, 1 to 17. So look at Matthew, look at verse 17. Matthew 1 verse 17. Just that alone. But if you read from the top, you see all of those things be counted. Now, the Bible says, so all the generation from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ, uh, what do you, I mean, 14 generations. So we have 32 generations from Abraham unto that. But the point is this. The generation of the book of, uh, of Christ it's not just this alone. It has to remember generation speaks of the activities of a man and all that has to do with his product, like his children, whatever the case may be. Is that okay? Right. So when we talk about the generation of Jesus Christ, outside of what you find in Matthew chapter one, one turn to seventeen, this includes in the true sense of it the history of his birth, his acts, his sufferings. His death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this all thing put together makes the book of the genus, generation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Praise the living God. Outside of the people you find there, everything that pertained to his life was speaking about that which is called the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Praise the living God. Is that making sense for you? Now, so that is where you are connected. In the case of Abraham, I mean Adam, you just brought inside and you were fixed in there and then you were born into Adam as the case may be and then you begin to inherit everything that Adam was producing. Now, you move into Christ, what are you expecting to inherit? You inherit everything that Christ is supposed to be producing. Is that okay? Now, if you are in the generation of Adam, you suffer all of the things that Adam could release. Now, if you enter into the generation of Christ, you suffer everything that Christ was supposed to release. When I use the word suffer, it means you inherit. Okay, I'm going to show you something. Go with me to the book of Isaiah 53. This is when Isaiah was prophesying about the death of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. We look at verse 7, verse number 8. And very important. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not what? His mouth. Amen. Okay. Go to verse number 8. Most important. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? Hallelujah. For he was cut off from out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. But the point I want you to see there is the word, who shall declare what? His generation. Whose generation? Christ's generation. Is it making sense to you? And this is very, very crucial. And I need you to pay very close attention. Who shall declare his generation? What does that mean? And this is what it really means. 
In those days, if a criminal is to suffer capital punishment, they want to kill him, whether hang him or whatever the case may be, the town crier will proclaim, who knows anything about this man as to whether he is innocent or not? Now you will see witnesses that will come out to declare, to testify, yes, I know this man is innocent. Amen? That declaration must go on before the judgment takes place. Before the man is crucified. Now in the case of Jesus, the record said, for 40 days, the declaration was made. Who knows this man as to whether he is innocent? Nobody volunteered. That's the question Isaiah is asking them. Who can declare his generation? Are you following this now? In other words, who can come out to testify that Jesus is innocent? So for 40 days, the cry was on. Who can declare a generation? Nobody showed up. Nobody volunteered. There was no record to say. And this is what he had to say all by himself. For instance, uh, I think in the book of John chapter 18. Let's look at John 18, 20, 21. When the priest came in, let's look at it from verse uh, John 18. I, I think we'll just take it from verse 19. John 18, 19. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. By implication, he was questioning him. Are these allegations true? About what you say about the people that you have as your disciples. Are the allegations true? Is that okay? Right. Remember, nobody was able to come out to say this man is innocent. Are you following what I'm saying here? Praise God. Okay, look at verse 20 now. Then Jesus answered, I spoke openly to the world. I never taught in the synagogue. What is it? I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple. Whither the Jews always resort, and in the circuit have I said nothing. Verse 21. Why ask it thou me? Ask them which had me, and what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. What he's trying to say now is, I am innocent. There is nothing I said in the secret. Everything I said was in the open. Are you following what I'm saying here? Praise the living God. So when we come to that word, who shall declare his generation? Now we are talking about the people who in this life will be able to declare that Jesus is what? Innocent. His own people will be the one to make that declaration. Praise the living God. Interestingly enough, verse 11 says something again. Look at verse 11. Isaiah 53 verse number 11. Praise God. Isaiah 53 verse number 11. Who shall declare generation? That's what we're looking at. But there's something again. After verse number 8, verse number 8 says, Who shall declare? Verse 11 says, He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their word iniquities. Praise God. Are you there with me? Look at that. He said, 
He shall see of the travail of his soul. In other words, his desire, his, his, his thoughts about what he intends to do. By implication, the death is not going to be in vain. People shall come out of that his death, who shall be his own people, who finally shall know him experientially. Look at what he said. He is going to justify many. By his blood, we are justified from all sins. By his sacrifice, men are justified. Many have to do with all that died in Adam. Are you listening to me? And these same people that died in Adam, they will be able to come to that place of declaring how free they are because of the blood of Jesus. In other words, the innocent blood is now being poured upon a people who shall finally be able to declare what? His generation. What is generation is a righteous man who is innocent. Praise the living God. Are you there with me? In order we shall see such blessed fruit resulting from his death, from his suffering, and then seeing a situation where both the Jews and the Gentiles will not only be reconciled, or be brought to the place of perfect justification from all the sins that Adam poured upon their life. So a new generation is coming up who shall now come to the place of declaring the generation of who? Of Jesus Christ. And what exactly is supposed to mean? That is to say, remember what he said there, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be sanctified by his knowledge Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their word iniquities. I would like us to look at John 17 verse 3 and then Philippians 3 verse 10. John 17 verse 3. John 17 verse number 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Remember, it shall be justified through his knowledge. Is that okay? Praise God. Look at Philippians 3 verse number 10. Philippians 3 verse number 10 will make us see. Say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto what his death. That I may know him. John 17 3 that we may know him with the true God and this eternal life. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. Is that okay? Praise God. So, we're talking about the people that will come to know Christ experientially. Now, who is this Christ in the true sense? Remember, when no man, help me Lord, when no man could declare he is innocent, even that proclamation for 40 days, and nobody was able to show up to say, no, I know this man is innocent. This is just an accusation. Nobody was able to do it. No volunteer came out. And so he was going to be crucified. But remember what we're looking at in Isaiah 53. A generation shall declare what? He's innocent. Hallelujah. Now look at 1 John chapter 2 verse number 1. 1 John 2 verse number 1. Praise God. My little children, this thing write unto you, that you see not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Word, the righteous. Did you get that? Good. By implication, 
the ground by which he makes his people to become righteous, to declare his innocence, because himself is what? Righteous. And I want you to get the picture. The generation of Adam died because Adam was in sin. The generation of Jesus has to be righteous because himself is what? Righteous. The source gives to the seed or the fruit or the plants whatever life that he had. So Adam being the source of humanity what he had in him was death. So man picked death from Adam. Now Jesus is righteous. He's innocent. Thank you Father. He's righteous. He's innocent. Remember the message I shared with you on the alpha blood? Good. When Judas came and said, I've betrayed what? An innocent blood. And that what innocent blood spoke for alpha blood, which is the original blood, which is the uncontaminated blood. And so now you are bought with that same uncontaminated blood. And because it's righteous, you are righteous. Are you following what I'm talking about? And so now, how do you declare his generation? Is to make it known to people that you are justified, you are free from sin, you are a righteous person. As far as the issue of Adam is concerned, you are not guilty. Praise God, somebody. Are you following me? Right. You begin to declare that with the life you live and what you know. Remember, you have to know him experientially. John 17, 3. Philippians 3, 10. You got to know him experientially. That is to say, his life becomes your life. I have said it before. We did not receive imputed righteousness alone. What we receive is what? Impacted righteousness. He impacted his life on us. As a matter of fact, we have an exchange. Christianity, like I keep saying, is not just something that transforms you. It's an exchange of life. It's not a reformed life. You are not reformed. You are not just being, you know, when something is going bad, you try to reform it, bring in some stuff into it or whatever the case may be. No, that is not Christianity. Christianity is completely an exchange of life. He took your life and gave you his own. So if he's righteous, you are righteous. If he's holy, you are holy. If he's innocent, you are innocent. Now, you are innocent because it goes back to the beginning again. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were what? Innocent. So you're going back to that state. He came to take us back to the state of innocency. Who shall declare his generation to say he is an innocent man? He committed no crime. And now that we are in him, you as an innocent man, there is no crime in your life. There is no offense in your life. In fact, no man can count anything against you. Can I hear an amen to that? Hallelujah. Look at First Corinthians chapter 1 verse number 30. First Corinthians 1 verse number 30. Praise God. Are you there with me? But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, what? Wisdom and what? Righteousness 
and sanctification and what? Redemption. That's what we have. Amen? So, the man that lives out, listen and listen closely. What we are talking about now, when the scripture says, who shall declare generation? We are the ones saying he is innocent. We are his generation. As we live out the life that he has given to us, we are declaring what? His generation. Praise the living God. Are you getting this? That is what the scripture is telling us here. So these therefore are the people who are declaring what? He is innocent. The very company of the Christ generation are those who have come to know that and are walking in what? His righteousness on the face of the earth. That is the people. These are the people that declare his generation. When he say who shall, we can say we are. Praise God somebody. Are you listening to me? Yes. The question of who shall is so long there because the people who are going to declare are already out and they are declaring it. We are the one declaring the generation of who? Of Jesus Christ. What are we declaring? Everybody as far as Christ is concerned, we are what? Innocent. There is no offense. There is no crime. There is no judgment. Somebody say judgment. Yes, no judgment against you. You know why? Because he took your judgment upon himself. I appointed unto man once that after that the judgment. So, Christ was done. Glory to God. He took your judgment upon himself. You are a son of God. God can't judge his son. God can only chastise his son. In fact, the Bible says, you are passed from death unto life. Even so, you are passed from judgment unto life. Praise God. How will you judge a righteous person? How will you judge an innocent person? Praise God, somebody. This is hard, is it? But this is the truth. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? You see, you cannot be judged for whatever thing God asks you to do. You are judged for the job that you asked to do. You can't be judged for the sins of Adam. If God will judge you again for the sins of Adam, then the sacrifice of Jesus amounts to nothing. He took your iniquities upon himself. That was the judgment. So you are passed from death unto what? Unto life. Hallelujah. And so we are the ones that are declaring his generation. That God in Christ have a people who are righteous, who are full of wisdom, who are innocent, who have the alpha blood within their being. That's what we're saying. Praise God. You are among the genealogy of the Christ, declaring his righteousness on the face of the earth. That you are free from sin and its consequences. Through the once and all sacrifices of who? Of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of Jesus set you free from everything that Adam imposed upon your life. Praise the living God. So we are that generation. We are answered to that generation that Isaiah was asking about. So again, 1 Corinthians 15 verse, verse 21. Time is almost gone again. Hallelujah. I would like us to read it from if you don't have it, let me read from Amplified Translation. No. I would like to read from New Century Version. You can put that one on the board. Anyone you have there, you can put it on the board. First Corinthians 5.15. Let's look at verse 21. But the New Century Version is what it says. Death has come because of one man. Who is that one man? Adam. Because of what one man did, death came. 
But the rising from the dead also come because of one man, and that is who Christ. Verse 22. In Adam, all of us die. In the same way, in Christ, all of us will be made alive again. Praise God, somebody. Are you getting that? Essentially, everything that Jesus is doing is to reverse all that Adam did. Amen? We're going back to what I would call the original default when God created man. You know when you have your computer and it's got virus, got virus, whatever, what do you do? You clean it out. Take it back to the original default, save out your materials and set it back to the original state that you bought it. You start all over again. And that's exactly. We, you see, we're going back. In fact, we've gone back to the original state. And now, it happened me now. If man was living that long before sin was introduced and death began to follow sin, now that Christ is reversing that and taking away sin and so taking away death, what do you think should be the next thing? You got to live long. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Listen, if you will not be old at all, let it be that at least you got up to 120. Just try. I'm just appealing to you to try. Hallelujah. Just try and live up to 120. In fact, Isaiah said, infant will die at the age of 100. How many of you have read that? He said, anyone that dies in the kingdom at 100 is an infant. In the eyes of God. So just try to get to 120. Praise God, somebody. And that is why I keep telling you, Psalm 90 have nothing to do with what Moses was talking about. When he said, man is living up to uh, 60 per adventure, he get up to 70, whatever. You understand that? That was not this Moses. Because how will Moses try that when he lived 120? Are you listening to me? So that was not the song of the Moses that gave the law. Because even the sister, which is Miriam, lived for 130. So Moses cannot be telling you to live 60 or 70 when he said, cross over to 120. The sister cross over to 130. You should go ahead and live the life that God had originally. Praise God somebody. Uh, we see here, this might be difficult, but I'm saying this is where God is taking mankind back to. God is reversing everything that Adam had placed on man, taking him back to. How many of you understand that you need to get this in your mind? You need to really know this in your mind to be able to experience it. We are talking of experiencing the Christ who is the righteousness and the wisdom and the sanctification and justification of God. Praise God. If you are justified from all sins, then of course, nothing of sin nature, the effect of sin, ought not to work in your life anymore. Because you'll be justified from it. Hallelujah. Go with me again to the book of Romans chapter 3 verse 21 and 24. Hallelujah. Praise God. Romans 3, 23 and 24. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? Okay, go with me to Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse 2, Amplified Translation. And then we'll come back to read verse 24. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Hebrews 1, 2. Is that my correct? Um, what did I say here? Hebrews chapter, okay, give me chapter 2. Let's look at chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 1. I'll just go to verse 2, but we can read from here if you want. Oh, that's not what I'm looking for. Go back again to Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verse, no, no, Hebrews 2. Give me verse 2, let me see. If that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for Ibn D. Okay, verse 2. There we are. Hebrews 1, 3. Okay, thank you. He is the sole expression, talking about Christ now, of the glory of who? Of God. The light beam outrain of radiance of the divine. Now, that light beam is what we read in John chapter 1. That says darkness cannot comprehend it. And this was the nature of Adam before the fall. And this light being, the Bible is referred to as what? The image and what? The glory of God. So back again to Romans 3 verse 23. Now you know that Christ is the image and the glory of God. So when you say, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is that supposed to mean? You're short of the Christ, which is the glory of God. Are you getting that? And remember, the Christ is a light being. Praise God. Look at verse 24 of the same chapter. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is where in Christ Jesus. But ultimately, look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 26 to 27 of the book of Colossians. Even the mystery which have been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Verse 27. To whom God will make known, make it known to you, the saints, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Did you get that? So when you say. All have seen and come short of the glory of God. What do you think you're talking about? In Adam you had no Christ in you. But now that scripture can't work anymore. You can no longer say all have seen and come short of the glory of God. Because now we have the glory. For Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Are you following me? So that's what I'm saying. Everything that Adam impressed upon your life, Christ came to reverse it. If I came to take it away. Listen. Certainly, it, it doesn't work completely, but we do know that sometimes when people have cancer, which can spread on their own, multiply, we are made to understand they can cut off that particular spot where the cancer originates from. Are you sitting there with me? Right. The life of Adam was cancerous. And Jesus came to exhume that, to cut it away from your life. And implant it to you right now. So think about it. The way Adam's life was spreading in your body, even so right now, with the life and the righteousness of God spread where? In your body. Give me Romans chapter 5, verse number 10. I'm taking my time today because I want you to understand when it comes to who shall declare his generation. We are the people that are declaring the generation of Christ right now. We are on the face of the earth. When God looks upon the earth, he sees a company of innocent people. He sees a people that can say, yes, the source that buried us is innocent. The source is righteous. We are a righteous company of people. Look at this. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more be reconciled. We shall do what? We shall be saved by what? By his life. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And so we have received the life, which is the blood of Jesus. Praise the living God. And so we shall be saved. Saved from the corruption of everything that Adam plays in our lives. Again, I want to make you understand. Who shall declare his generation? We are the one that will declare the generation of who? Of Christ. What is made up of Christ's generation? They are innocent. They are righteous. They are justified. They are full of wisdom. Hallelujah. Praise God, somebody. Come on, is anybody following what I'm talking about? Yeah. Because at a point in your life, you were declaring... The generation of Adam. Is that okay? Right. But right now, you're declaring the generation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Every quality and lifestyle that was in Jesus, that's what right now in you. Like we read before in 4 John chapter 2, is the advocate and because it's righteous. Now if it's righteous, you can only give part to righteous people. You can only give bad to innocent people. Remember, when the priest asked him, he said, I did nothing wrong. I have not, I never said anything in the secret. You know my lifestyle. Everything was open before everybody. By implication, I am innocent. You should know that priest. I am innocent. Praise God somebody. And Judas even who betrayed him, have to come and say, I have betrayed an innocent blood. And right now we receive that innocent blood. So who are you? You are an innocent person. As far as the issue of the sin of Adam is concerned, you are an innocent person. You are justified. You are righteous people. You are holy people. Praise God somebody. It makes no difference how anybody says that. But that's what the Bible says. That's what exactly what we're talking about. I have always asked you this question. When I'm at Adam, seeing you were not there. Remember that? Yeah, but you came into this world. Look at our children. All little ones there. And when they grow up, that is scripture we normally quote. All I've seen, and come to the glory of God. All I've seen, nobody is righteous. Nobody is perfect. 
I try to make you understand on Sunday that we can be perfect. Because the Bible says, be a perfect, your Father in heaven is perfect. How can God be perfect and give back to imperfect people? That is practically impossible. Animal will give back to the species of the animal that he has. Dog will give back to a dog. God will give back to a goat. A perfect God will give back to perfect children. Can I hear any mention that somebody? So there's no way you begin to tell me nobody is perfect. No, no, no. You say nobody is perfect, then you are agreeing with the fact that nobody is there to declare the generation of Jesus Christ. But we are perfect people. We are righteous people. We are holy people. That's what they were saying. God is holy, therefore you are holy. God is righteous, therefore you are righteous. Jesus is righteous, you are righteous. That is exactly what it is. Because we are made in the image and express glory of God. Like what the Bible game. Genesis 1.26. Let's make man in our image after our likeness. Let him have dominion. It's after the likeness of God. God cannot have a people that is different from him. You can't be using your mouth to say no man is righteous, nobody is perfect, we are all sinners. That is the language of an Adam. Praise God somebody. And so we have our children now begin to tell them the same thing. You see in life nobody is right, nobody is perfect, everybody is a sinner. Some of us are very stupid, you know, everybody is very crazy. You know, <laughs> praise God somebody. And you want to praise, oh God, you know, I... Uh, I'm very, I'm very useless. You just have mercy on me. I'm very stupid. Have mercy on me. You think you are trying to be holy? You think you are very humble? You don't know what you're talking about. Did you hear Jesus pray such a prayer? Go to God and say, God, I don't, you know, I'm a human being now and you know, I'm very stupid. I'm just like every other person because I'm partaking of their nature. So nobody's right. Just forgive me my sins and just answer my prayer. Is that what it, no, no, no. When you pray, say, just talk to God. He's your father. He's not seeing anything about you. He's seeing Christ in your life. When he looks down from heaven, what is he saying? He's seeing Christ. He's not seeing you. Somebody say, how? If any man be in Christ, that means you are inside of Christ. So he doesn't see you. He sees Christ or you're inside of him. And as long as you're inside of Christ and Christ is righteous, who are you? You are a righteous person. Praise God somebody. And when you know this, you walk in righteousness, you walk in holiness, you walk in innocence, you walk in the beauty and the glorification of the Father. For he whom he called, he justified. And they that he justified, he does what? He glorified. A Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to make you understand something. We are going to make it, and we are making it, because the life of Christ is right now within our being. Praise God somebody. We are the people declaring the righteousness of God. Who shall declare his generation? We say we are the one. There was no people right now has a people. There was no one right now has a people. For 40 they say, do you know anything about this man? Is he righteous? Nobody volunteered. But we are not only volunteering, we know that that is our life. So now he has gotten a people. From verse 11, he says his soul, he shall see the satisfaction of his soul. For his fruit shall come forth. Now he's gotten his fruit. And every Christian everywhere in the world, they are now the fruit of that declaration. Verse 11 of Isaiah 53. And these are the people that are saying, Christ is righteous. Because he is our source, we are righteous. Because he is our source, we are holy. Because he is our source, we are perfect. Praise God somebody. God bless you and I'll see you one more time. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.